0: Welcome to the best of the Nick Brown Show, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's your host, Nick Brown.
1: And I'm anxious and excited to talk to our next guest, Dave Johnson from Ole Miss 24-7. Always enjoy talking and catching everything up with the Rebels, even... The negative, and Dave, certainly it has been with all the positive things in Oxford, this is a one that just will not seem to go away.
0: Yeah, I, Nick, I appreciate you guys having me on this morning. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of, uh, while well, the outside world's been freaking out about this again ever since Thursday when Pat Forde's Yahoo story kind of fired things back up again honestly on the ground here in oxford folks are getting on to it uh... Hugh freeze pointed that out yesterday he was asked about it prior to practice yesterday afternoon uh... you know his take on on what came out thursday and honestly and i I was standing two feet from here when he answered this he kind of chuckled and uh... it wasn't an act he he basically said look i'm known to this stuff uh... you know they're going to say what they're going to say we're doing what we have to do Really, it's not affecting the the internal, uh, I guess, engine of the program. Uh, it's not a concern with the players. It may be with some of the coaches. Uh, it certainly is with the Ole Miss fans. But uh, you know, you just don't know what's around the corner. And uh, this stuff has been popping like this for the last seven months or so. Uh, it's time to play some football. And I really don't think uh, I. I I just don't think uh, the, the program itself is uh, is freaking out about this like the rest of the world, including the old Miss
1: fan base is. Oh, okay, let's take it. So that's one thing. Talking to Dave Johnson from Ole Miss 24-7. Really, you look back, and that's the thing about it. It, it. That is the one thing. I thought Hugh Freeze did an excellent job at SEC Media Days handling all the questions because basically you're walking into the belly of the beast with all your SEC West uh, division opponents. But And I think the main thing is, this is not going to distract the Rebels from that opening game with the Florida State Seminoles?
0: No, I don't, I don't think at all. I, I mean, I, I think it's compartmentalized. Uh, there's no doubt. And, and when I say there's no freak-out level left in, in Oxford anymore, uh, you know, there is concern, obviously. Uh, there has been some wrongdoing inside the program. They've admitted as much uh, with their self-imposed sanctions and their response to the initial uh Notice of allegations. I say initial. I have no idea if another one's coming. That's part of the rumor that's floating around out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's no doubt the investigation still ongoing. It's not over. Uh, I think it was close to being over before NFL draft night and the Laramie Council stuff kind of bubbled up. Uh, I think that kind of kept it going a little bit. The biggest thing you sense around Oxford right now is folks are ready to get it over with. It's been four years, a four-year-long investigation. Uh, you know that the United States involvement in World War II was 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 about that long. That's how long this thing has been going on. And you know, on on the notice of allegations, uh, what they found initially was about sixteen thousand dollars, sixteen thousand dollars worth of. Uh, Impermissible benefit. If you add everything up, that was the first three and a half years. Uh, so they're staying longer now. Probably should after the draft night debacle and what was uh, what was discovered there and learned that night. But uh, in any event. Uh, you know, all good things and all bad things must eventually come to an end. When will they wrap this up? That's what everybody wants to know.
1: All right, let's talk. I'm talking to Dave Johns from Ole Miss 24-7 Sports. You go back. You said that, yes, wrong things have been done. They've been admitted that, 16,000 in permissible benefits. We go back a lot, though, and I think one thing, really, this goes back to Houston Nut as well. This is not all on Hugh Freeze.
0: Yeah, that's correct. When you get into the whole David Saunders part of this uh, this. this here that that is prior to Hugh Freeze arriving, uh, where there's been some cases of uh, academic fraud uh, and, and those kind of things. That didn't happen under this administration or under this coaching staff under Hugh Freeze. That was uh, while Houston Nutt was uh, the head coach in, in Oxford and before even Athletic Director Ross Dorton got here. So. Uh, You know, but you know. Nevertheless, it is what it is. But it's coming to a point, and what you sense, what you feel, is that Ole Miss has had enough itself. They've really, they've really tailored their response based on this uh, idea of exemplary cooperation that the NCAA would uh, would would factor that into any punishment that they've handed down. You're starting to feel as if they are moving away from that now. And that this thing could get, if it doesn't draw to a conclusion sooner rather than later, it could get combated possibly between the two parties, the two parties being Ole Miss and the NCAA. Um, Folks are ready for the NCAA to get out of town.
1: Well, I certainly uh, don't blame them. Now I'm going to put my conspiracy theorists. I've told you before, because we have quite a few... Uh, Ole Miss Rebel fans and North Louisiana. And uh, certainly uh, good fans and a great fan base all over. But you look now, and, and I'm going to call this a witch hunt for Ole Miss. And I have never heard of a situation, and maybe I haven't been. I think I've been around enough to hear things. But it caught me off guard when immunity was granted for two players and the schools were both listed, one being Auburn, the other being Mississippi State. I don't think it would be hard to go in and figure out who the players are, because they both were recruited by Ole Miss. And they had been granted immunity to tell of any impropriety on that occurred while Ole Miss was recruiting them. Dave, I may be wrong, but I do not remember this ever being discussed before.
0: I, I think it has happened a few times before where the NCAA has used this, this instrument or tool, if you will, during an investigatory process. I don't think this is unprecedented. However, uh, you know, I, I, talking about uh, conspiracies and, and trying to theorize how all of this plays out, how many, let me just throw this out there, and this is hypothetically speaking, but it's something worth chewing on. How many four star and Five star, highly recruited players are on this old list roster, Nick, that were recruited by Alabama, that were recruited by Auburn, that were recruited by Mississippi State or LSU or Tennessee. The list goes on and on and on that might have some people shaking a little bit if. Ole Miss picked the phone up and called the NCAA and said, hey, we want you to come here and give our guys immunity and let them talk about the recruitment that they had during uh, their process from school X and school Y and school Z. And, um, you know, let's, let's just get this thing going and shake this thing down. Again, that's uh, that's conspiratorial right there. But, um you know, it's almost like the butterfly thing. What is this investigation and this pride into uh, this probe, into uh, into the Ole Miss football program? What could it possibly lead to when you start talking about uh, the NCAA granting players immunity to, uh, to rat about their recruitment there? And I'm certainly not advocating any of this. We're, we're talking hypothetical. Hypothetical.
1: That's exactly right, Dave. And I will tell you that, Now, I guess what really caught me off guard, and I said, you know who I want to talk to? I want to talk to Dave Johns from Ole Miss 24-7, is when that, and, and I don't know why, but when you list two players and their school, there's a third player whose school is not listed, and also in the SEC. And I'm thinking, okay, why can you list two of the schools and not list the third. It just yeah, struck me yeah. as
0: odd. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of struck me as odd too, and I think everybody probably has their uh, their opinion as to what that other school is right there. But uh, you know, the uh, it, it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Nicka. I, I mean, you and I've been around this business a long time, and uh, it's changed uh, as far as. Uh, Journalistic integrity goes, or nailing your, you know, nailing your sources down, nailing your story, being being accountable for what you're, what you're reporting, and what the consequences are to those you're reporting it on. Uh, all of that stuff's gone to the wayside now. Um, you know, uh, Joe Blow can start a blog and get a Twitter account, and then and start forest fires uh, if he gets a uh, hundred followers that retweet the things that he puts out, and there can be no truth to it whatsoever. And it permeates on up into the guys who are drawing the big paychecks and writing for the big companies as far as responsibility goes in our industry. And it's pretty sad how how things have uh, morphed into this.
1: Well, you know, it certainly is. And I will tell you, you know that that I finished at Auburn, and I'm still waiting for Danny Sheridan to reveal the bag man who uh, dropped off the money to Cam Newton because he was going to release that information. And that same article came from Pat Forty. So I think there's a connection there. But I want to go through because you... Ole Miss uh, 24-7, Dave Johnson. I took old, I took 24-7's composite rankings. And I think sometimes you get a lot of attention when you bring in, obviously, the number one class. Number one, it's an insult to Ole Miss because basically what you're saying is, how in the world could Hugh Freeze get these players to come to Ole Miss over us? With that, they don't know how beautiful the city of Oxford is and how the facilities have been upgraded. But I think it's interesting that a lot of times we have a perception, and I really don't think – everyone has their opinion of Ole Miss recruiting, but going from 24-7's rankings. Now, it's interesting, but if you look at the five classes that Hugh Freeze have had, they've had a composite ranking of 18.6 nationally. Now, if you go look at Ole Miss's recruiting five years prior to Freeze's arrival, the Rebels averaged the 22nd best class nationally. So I know you had all the class with the tread well and Kim Dichi Brothers, but you go through really gone from 22nd average on the five years before it to 18.6 and freezes first class ranking 47th. In my opinion, that doesn't warrant this investigation or witch hunt that we're seeing. The class has improved on a composite average by four places.
0: Yeah, that, that's a that's a good point. I mean, uh, you, you know, and one might say, well, where they've improved is in the win column against teams like Alabama and LSU and so on and so forth. That may be, uh, you know, more of the of the determining factor. But you know, you're talking about the you know the the insult. I, I mean, yes. uh, You know, I've got a, I've got a little bit of a different and maybe perhaps unique perspective on this. Uh, you know, I know you know, but probably most people who listen who are listening right now don't know. But my my son was part of that 2016 recruiting class, and uh, you know, he's he's on the team as a true freshman offensive lineman. Uh, you know, signed with the Rebels, and uh, you know, every time you hear, well, they bought that class. Well, you know, that's not only an insult to the program, but. You know those things kind of get personal with people. I, I, I mean, they did buy my son. I, you know, not, not that not that he was, uh, you know, the kind of kid somebody would do that with, but yeah, you know, everything was only up and up in his recruitment. And when I hear, oh, oh you know, these, these kids playing at Ole Miss, they're all on the tape. Well, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. And then you're insinuating a parent would sell their child every time somebody perpetuates that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, but, but again, it's the world we live in. You know, I don't pretend we're in uh, Disneyland here. This is a mean, mean world out there in college athletics, big time business, and um, folks are going to have their opinions. But uh, it, it extends beyond the borders of the university when you when you start slinging stuff around like that.
1: Uh, you're exactly right. But Dave Johnson from Ole Miss 24-7 Sports, I want to keep you on just for a few more minutes because now let's move to the positive. Got a big uh, quote, air quote, neutral site game versus the Florida State Seminoles. It's going to be huge. And uh, Chad Kelly certainly ready to go out and play versus the Seminoles.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, I mean, probably the biggest season opener from a national perspective that uh, I can remember Ole Miss having, at least in the modern era. Uh, you know, they're ranked preseason, number 11 in the country, in the AP poll. Florida State's number four. Uh there's certainly star power on both sides of uh, uh, of the field that night. I mean, you've got Chad Kelly at Ole Miss, who uh, a lot of people think uh, is, is maybe the best quarterback in the country, certainly a Heisman candidate. Dalvin Cook, the fine running back from Florida State. It's just, uh, it's got all the makings of a great Monday evening. I, I, I can tell you that much. And uh, it, it's, it should be a lot, a lot of fun. And, and, and You know, the of uh, a sub-story around this, win, lose, uh, or draw. You know, for Chad Kelly, it's a great opportunity uh, from the Ole Miss perspective to launch a a, a Heisman campaign. I mean, if he can knock, help Ole Miss knock off Florida State on a Monday night, and then he's still got Alabama and Georgia to play in the month of September, things go well for the Rebels. Oh, my goodness. You know, Chad Kelly wants to be the front-runner for that Heisman trophy when October rolls around. It's Somehow, some way, and I'm not suggesting it's going to end up like this, Ole Miss is 4-0 at the, at the end of September.
1: Well, I want to ask you real quick, last question. How is the receiving core, the Chad Kelly, who are some names to watch for in the receiving core of Ole Miss Rebels?
0: Yeah, it's kind of fun to sit back and watch the national heads talk about how well who's he going to throw the football to. Laquan Treadwell's gone and Cody Core's gone. Both those guys are in the NFL. Ole Miss is wide receiver core. Uh, it may be the deepest in the SEC, and there are there, there are there is a lot of talent still left in Oxford for him to throw the football to. Offensively, I don't I don't really see a whole lot of concerns. Uh, they're good up front. They're they're good at the receivers. Uh, they're 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 relatively deep at running back. Of course, you've got Chad Kelly and then Shay Patterson at the quarterback position. Uh, the, the the secondary uh, on the defensive side of the ball, particularly the safeties. Be an issue early on as they try to grow some youngins up back there. Uh, but uh, this should be an Ole Miss football team that's every bit as good as the one you saw last fall.
1: Well, certainly, Dave Johns from Ole Miss 247 Sports. Tell our Ole Miss fans in the audience how they can follow your great work.
0: Yeah, just dot uh, Sports.com. Follow me on Twitter at Rebels247. Nick, again, thank you for having me on.
1: Hey, certainly, and I wish you a safe trip you and your family as you head down to Orlando.
0: Thank
1: you, Nick. All right. Appreciate it. That was Dave Johns from Ole Miss 24-7. Welcome back to the Nick Brown Show. You hear that fight song. That means it's time to head to Birmingham, Alabama and talk to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. And I can tell you that everyone else is under NCAA investigation. I wonder if the NCAA is investigating one Lynn Scarborough this morning. Well, I,
2: I, I don't know. I, tell you, I'm, I think I'm a pretty open book. It uh, it wouldn't take a whole lot of time to investigate me. I don't I don't think I hadn't uh, I hadn't paid off anybody or I hadn't broken any laws. hadn't uh, hadn't been uh, you know arrested for having stolen firearms or I don't do drugs and uh, you know I don't know, I'm pretty boring. I'd be a pretty boring guy to investigate. I think. Nick.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Lynn. We talked to Dave Johns from Ole Miss 24/7 Sports a little while ago and talk about the situation. Uh, in Ole Miss, and uh, it was an article written by Pat Forty. who's one that many in the SEC are familiar with. You get to the point where you really don't enjoy the articles. And I just want to say one thing as we move on. We've got a lot to cover today. Get ready for the opening weekend of college football. Years ago, uh, 2010 to be exact, Cam Newton, quarterback to Auburn, a huge investigation, paid $200,000. Danny Sheridan, a guy who, uh, is an Alabama graduate but an odds maker, and he talked about he was going to release – the name of the bag man. And, boy, it got all the attention. It culminated with when the uh, the Iron Bowl, when uh, Auburn and Alabama played in Tuscaloosa, and I think Cam was suspended for a day and then came back, played, and Auburn ended up winning the game, winning the national championship. But you know what? You've never heard any release of any names, and I think that's the thing that is the most frustrating because when the allegations are made, it basically becomes the focal point of your program and can take away from the action on the field.
2: Well, here's here's the problem, and this this is the way things have changed over the years. And I'm not defending anybody on on anything, but in the day before we had bloggers, and before we had people that are quasi wanna-be journalists that can get credentials to media days uh, that have no audience and no credibility. Uh, before we had the days when you had YouTube. When you could, somebody could sneeze, and before they could put the tissue in the trash can, it's on, uh, it's on the Internet. Uh, before, we, when we had an audience that actually cared about truth and detail instead of caring about quickness and headlines, um, we had legitimate uh, people should be investigated for things that they do, um, and, and the truth should come out, but you shouldn't put stuff out until you have truth. Um, probably the most egregious, unfair group of lies uh, that's ever been done in the 40-plus years that I've been covering uh, sports was the Cam Newton situation. But that's only uh, the you know that, that can be the poster boy for bad journalism and publishing lies. But it, uh, the the media is doing it a lot, and it's driven by guys uh, a lot of, of a lot of whom Nick, you and I wouldn't consider to be traditional professional journalists. Uh, is driven by a lot of, a lot of guys that are, are wannabes or trying to get a radio audience or trying to build up their, uh, their hits on, on, uh, on the Internet so they might get, uh, get some unknowing person to pay advertising money. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old, I'm Archie Bunker of, of, uh, of sports and politics, but uh, I long for the days uh, when detail, truth, and patience mattered instead of who can get a headline out first. Hey, I'm a journalism guy. I understand being the first guy to get out there. Uh, when I was writing for newspapers, uh, we tried to be the first guy with the story. But if my choice was to have a true story or to have a quick story, then you go ahead and beat me and get the story out there. When I put it out there, you're gonna be able to trust that what I said is as accurate as I can make it. And uh, and this is not defending Ole Miss's situation. Uh, it's not defending uh, any any thing particularly. It's just a general observation on what has happened, what it has what has evolved, and it has evolved that way in other aspects of our society. And it's to the detriment of our society. So there there's my soapbox for the day. Well
1: I wanna ask you, talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine, because I want to go back to one that was before my time but not before yours and that was one of the Very little was before my time (laughs) then. I know. You were there when uh, Noah brought the first football off the arc. Now, yeah, well,
2: Dr. Naismith and Abner Doubleday, they did tell me what their thoughts were, just to let you know that.
1: <laughs> now, going back to around 1961, 62, 63, that era, that, uh, era uh, Bear Bryant and Wally Butts from Georgia, Bear Bryant from Alabama, Wally Butts from Georgia, we're both accused of what conspiring to fix the games, and this is one where Bear Bryant and Wally Butts both ended up suing the uh, the paper that, that published publishes article. You well,
2: said it, said, it said in the Post. The uh, the story was put out by Furman Bisher, a well-respected. Now, and this is I'm 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 criticizing in general a genre of journalists that uh, that do do a really bad job on this stuff. Furman Bisher was a well-respected. Hey, he was a sports editor to the. Uh, the Journal of the Constitution. Jesse Outlaw was the uh, the Journal of the Constitution were different papers back then. Just like you know, we had so many newspapers. Uh, you had the Mobile Press, and the Mobile Register, the Birmingham News, the Birmingham Post-Herald. That uh, you know, so many cities had multiple newspapers. And Jesse Outlaw was the was the editor of the Constitution, and, and Furman was the editor of the other one, or I don't I don't remember which one it was. But supposedly somebody came to Furman. They had, you know, sometimes it's so when you'd be careful what you say in a phone conversation. It almost never happens, but I have, I have before uh, been having a phone conversation when uh, when you would hear another voice would come in, and it was and somehow lines would get crossed. And I understand that can even happen with cell phones. Uh, it certainly happened back in the old days when you had party lines and that kind of deal. Most lot of people in the audience don't know what a party line is, but uh, that would happen. And somebody came to Furman Bisher with a recording, supposedly, of an intercepted, accidentally intercepted phone call between Wally Butts and, and uh, Bear Bryant, in which they were discussing particular plays so that they were giving each other what each other's plays and strategies were so that it would rig a ball game. And the Saturday Evening Post came out with a story that I believe was called The Story of a Football Fix. I believe if you Google the story of a football fix or the story of a college football fix, I think that was the actual headline of, the, of this the Saturday Evening Post story. And, um, and Coach Bryant and Coach Butts uh, both, did, both did sue them, and they both won because uh, it, couldn't, it couldn't be validated. Um, the, the idea, and I can't believe the Bishop did it, quite frankly. Um, uh, number one, you got to realize, what well, your bread's buttered. Um, and uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, sure, you got uh, big Alabama and Auburn, and other audiences in the Atlanta market. But Georgia's and and Georgia Tech, which was bigger at the time than it was because Bobby Dodd was their coach there. But uh, I couldn't believe he did it. And and the next is um, I don't know, and I don't remember the details on whether or not he talked to Coach Butts and talked to Coach Bryant to give them a chance to give their side of this or to or to deny it. But they certainly did deny it. And um, and so yeah, and that's that's what happened. Um. I'll give you a little a little personal story on this that you did not know. Uh, you and I have never talked about this. My daddy played football for Wally Butt. Really? Now, you know he played for Shook Jordan. But my daddy was recruited by Wally Butt uh, in 1932. Let's see. Because daddy's uh, freshman team at Auburn was 34. So daddy played the 1933 football season at Georgia Military College in Milledgeville, Georgia. Back during the Depression, um, Back in that, you know, in that time period, uh, you could go to a junior college or prep school, and you then could go on and play four years at another school. So
1: it's kind of like a, a redshirt year at, at another it, college,
2: uh, right? But you get to go to prep school, and it did, and it did not count. You know, you could go play junior college ball, and and you would come in uh, as a, as a freshman. So my father played for Wally Butts at George Military. He was starting tailback, starting halfback, they call it back then, for Coach Butts. And then uh, it was during the Depression. They had eight kids, and so. My father had to come back to Gadsden, Alabama, where they were from. He's going to go to work at Goodyear. And Coach Butts contacted Coach Jordan and told him I got a halfback that I was trying to get to go to Georgia. Because at that time, GMC was kind of leader school to Georgia. So I was trying to get to go to Georgia, but he's got to come back home. Uh, He's got to be in-state. If you go see him, he can be – you need to have him at Auburn. And so, sure enough, Coach Jordan came and and recruited my father. And it ends up – you and I have talked about this before – Billy Hitchcock, that was the – that was the uh, uh, coach of uh, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, uh, Hitchcock Field at Auburn. Uh, now, uh, uh, Coach Hitchcock was uh, was the quarterback on that freshman team, and my dad was the halfback on that freshman team. And they had a pretty good team. And yeah, uh, anyway, my dad broke his ankle after his sophomore year. That that at that point, you didn't get to stay in school; you had to get out of school. They didn't have the money, so he he did not was not able to finish his career at Auburn. I think it was one of the great uh, regrets that he had in in his life uh, when he when he died. But I remember when that came out vividly, because my daddy was, was livid. And he said, I know Coach Butts. He said, he's tough. He said, but there's no way that he would do that to his players. And I remember my dad had not talked to Coach Butts in um, in 30 years. And he called Coach Butts uh, in, in Georgia, and Coach Butts told him that many, many of his players had contacted him uh, just to express support, say, Coach Butts, I want you to know uh, your players are not going to think that you would cheat your own players by fixing a football game. And that is that is probably, I was talking about the most egregious example of overall media frenzy to do lies. Um, the one you've named here is one of the most. Uh, we'd really have to go back in history to talk a lot about, you know, to see where it would stand. But but certainly one of the most well-known uh, cases of, of media going awry and being called on the table for it, right, rightfully so, uh, was the one you're talking about probably the probably the biggest black eye on Bishop's career? Because Bishop was a renowned, well-respected, uh, Hall of Fame uh, sports journalist. I mean, the lead sports sports journalist in the city of Atlanta, and uh, and and that and that happened. So no, you're right. I I hadn't thought about that whole situation in a long time. But you're you're exactly right on that.
1: Now, and and I think that Butts ended up resigning as a result of uh, this. Didn't he, didn't he resign from the University of Georgia?
2: Well, he, he did, but I don't know I don't know if that was the reason. I mean, Coach, coach Butts was already getting on up in years, and, and that led to they had one year in there. They had another coach come in and, and followed Coach Butts, who at that time, of course, was the winningest coach in Georgia history. Um, and and they had one year. Uh, the, the guy's name may come to me in a minute. And then, of course, Georgia and Auburn have always had, uh, you know, that's like fights between brothers because uh, Georgia and Auburn have got so much in common and so much interchanging of coaches and, and graduates and students and players and, and all. And um, when, Georgia, when Georgia was looking, you know, looked for a coach, they called Auburn. And Coach Jordan said, I hate to lose him, you know, but uh, but my head freshman coach, my former quarterback, Vince Dooley, uh, you know, is the guy you need to talk to. And Coach Dooley goes to Georgia. Um, Joel leaves, later leaves Auburn, comes over, uh, becomes athletic director over there, Lee Haley. Ah, uh, was at both schools. Um, at one time, you had a uh, you had Georgia and Auburn both playing basketball in arenas named for Joel Leaves. and so the the two the interaction between those two schools has just been phenomenal. But but had Coach Butts not left uh, not left uh, Georgia at that at that time, uh, Vince Dooley probably would never gone to Georgia. Uh, Vince might have might have stayed on at Auburn. Who knows? He might have uh, he might have been the successor to Coach
1: Jordan. Now, and talking funny, to Lynn. funny
2: how things in history happen.
1: That's exactly how that. We're talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on The Nick Brown Show. And what brought that talk about the NCAA investigations? Of course, the situation in Oxford, Mississippi with the Ole Miss Rebels and the situation with Laramie Tunsell. And you wonder when that case is going to come to an end. But, Lynn, now we've got to talk about uh, on the field games because it's going to be a huge week next week. We will talk next week. But is it, you know, you have to keep all of this as distractions because the Ole Miss Rebels have to play the number three team in the land being the Florida State Seminoles in a neutral site stadium in Orlando, Florida.
2: Yeah, you got a lot of interesting uh, uh, storylines on this. you got Ole Miss who doesn't have any uh, returning good running backs anyway, and they lose one of their two that they were counting on because of an administrative snafu within the Ole Miss uh, education portion of of academics. Uh, You hear people – you know, they get lost cause of injury, and they get suspended cause of violating team rules. I never remember when you've got one of your potential starting running backs that's going to miss an entire year because of an academic clerical error. Uh, so that's an unusual one. Uh, you know, so you got, you got Chad Kelly uh, without, without uh, running back backups, outstanding wide receivers, um, going up against a good Florida State team who's going to have an advantage there. However, and they don't have a problem with running back. they got Dalvin Cook, who's one of the top you know, probably five running backs in the country. They're going to have a freshman named Francois uh, playing. Uh, they lose their uh, starting quarterback, the guy with experience, for about six weeks with injury. Then they got two freshmen that are fighting it out, and uh, and one of the freshmen gets basically kicked off the team for violating team rules. So Florida State's going into this game with a with a freshman and a walk-on uh, going up against Ole Miss, uh, who lost a whole lot on defense. And uh, and both of these teams, uh, you know, two weeks later, Ole Miss plays Alabama, and. Uh, and Florida State does not have as daunting a schedule as, as Ole Miss does. they got, uh, they got the big game coming up with Clemson, of course, but it's, that's a number of weeks down the road. So, yeah, that's, just, that's one of, a, of a ten big ball games in the country, all of which could have uh, national uh, ranking uh, influence right off, the t- right off the bat. We've talked about it for months, Nick, on and off the air, but uh, this, is, this is the best weekend of college football probably that's ever been played.
1: And certainly, it certainly. is. next
2: weekend will
1: be. Yeah, next weekend certainly will be. And I, I want to get your thoughts because you know, if uh, now you weren't there when uh, they played the first game in Cuba, but playing games overseas. Oh, but, it, hold,
2: but hold on, let me, <laughs> let me tell you, that was the nineteen thirty seven. Bacardi uh, Bowl. That, that was that was the nineteen thirty six, Auburn Villanova game, that tied seven to seven, and that was my dad's team. Really, if my dad had not broken his ankle; he would have played in the first uh, off, offshore bowl game ever played. My dad would have played in the – they called it – that bowl game had two names, the Bacardi Bowl and the Rumba Bowl. And the only bowl I know that had two names ended up the 7-7 tie. And uh, had my dad not broken his ankle, he would have been on that Auburn team and would have played in that ball game.
1: Now, so I want to get your thoughts on college football opening up uh, down under. Uh, overseas, your thoughts on that.
2: I like it. Um, I like the idea of doing it. I had not played a game in Australia in 30 years. Um, I like that you know Georgia Tech and Notre Dame be playing uh, in uh, in Ireland this year they played several games over in Europe I, I think maybe they had a game in Japan um, around the world US football obviously soccer is, is football of the world and, and US football is not going to supplant that but because of uh, technology because of the the YouTube's and uh, and and uh, being able to you know sat- satellite transmissions and so on um, US and, and the fact that uh, United States are relocating more over into into other parts of the world on, on jobs. The world's becoming smaller, uh, from an economic standpoint. Um, it, it is becoming more popular. You you know that we've got people in Australia. Uh, we've got friends in Australia. I uh, have some Australian friends that come up and attend games with us from time to time. Uh, got a group over there. You know that we that we do reports back to Australia each week. Um, I have not talked to any of my guys from Melbourne to see if they went over to Sydney to the game last night, but. Uh, there is a group of guys that you and I have talked about uh, that I can tell you next next Saturday afternoon, late late next Saturday afternoon, which will be late Sunday morning in Australia. They will gather at a sports bar in Melbourne, Australia, to have a late breakfast and spend throughout the afternoon watching live the late afternoon and evening football games, college football games in the United States. There's a sizable group of them. There's a guy that's a big Boise State fan, there's a guy that's a big Texas fan there's some guys that are Auburn fans um, and they get over there they got the College Gear and, uh, and they follow they follow the games and uh, and I send them a, I send them an update every week and they're on the, they're on the list to get uh, my, my columns on Lindy's website and, and to get our, uh, our SEC updates. Uh, when I was in Ukraine a month ago, uh, I didn't count it up It'd be beers to do. Uh, I'm going to tell you a dozen. During my time in Ukraine and coming back through Amsterdam and in the airports, uh, I, I know I, I, I ran into on the streets in Kiev. I ran into a group of Georgia people. Uh, they had a Tennessee guy traveling with them. Had a North Carolina guy. Uh, had had some guys from uh, had a, a Texas A and M guy. Some people from Nebraska. Um, these are all uh, college college football fans wearing their gear uh, while they're making making traveling through uh, through Europe. So. I think it's a smart thing to do to realize there is a market for American football. Um, I know, and you know this, Lindy's is the only magazine that does a British edition of the NFL football magazine. And, uh, and it's, it's on these stands in, uh, in uh, the U.K. And we're the, we're the only guy that does that. We, we do our regular NFL edition, and we put a supplement in there uh, for advertisers and for stories relating to American football in, in Great Britain. And uh, it's just a reality. It's, uh, it's a small world. American football is popular, and it's becoming more popular in other places. I think that, uh, that college football and in the NFL would be uh, unwise to ignore that. I mean, it's, a, it's an audience. It's a, rev- it's a potential increase in revenue stream. I mean, it's all driven by money, but it's also driven by fan interest, and I think that uh, you know, it's, a, it's an increasing fan interest in, in uh, American college football.
1: Well, I got to move on. Going to be uh, other games. Uh, certainly, play the biggest ones. You look. Auburn finally named a starter at quarterback. Has the University of Alabama or the University of Georgia named their starting quarterback for the opening games?
2: No, no, they have not. Neither one, neither one half. Um, and I think there's still several others. I, I I'm not sure. Is South Carolina named a starter yet.
1: I do not think they have.
2: I don't think they have. And I think, I think Fitzpatrick has probably been named the starter at Mississippi State. But I, I don't know if that's, uh, if that's in stone. I'll tell you, we, got, you know, of course, we're going to be, we're going to be talking next Saturday morning before, before all but two of the SEC games will have been played. But two games will be played before we're back on the air next Saturday, and both of them are are interesting in a sense. The Tennessee game, and I'm totally sold on Tennessee. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't think this will be a letdown year. I think Tennessee plays for the SEC championship. But with that being said, Michigan didn't think much about Appalachian State coming in either. And that's about 108,000 stadium up in Ann Arbor, and you got about 108,000 stadium in Nayland, and um, and you got Appalachian State rolling in, and I think Tennessee will blow them out of the stadium. But I thought Michigan would blow them out of the stadium uh, seven, eight years ago, however long it was. So you got an interesting thing there. Let's see what Tennessee puts on the field, and if you do see the potential for them to be as good as people say. In Nashville, South Carolina and Vanderbilt play. Uh, it's become a tradition of South Carolina or Vanderbilt you know, starting Thursday night games and, and getting a, uh, an SEC game right off the bat. A lot of SEC games in the month of September, by the way. I think you got more, uh, more key SEC games in the month of September than any first month that we've had. But the, the South Carolina-Vanderbilt game is interesting in that it sort of sets the, the, the pecking order for the Eastern Division. South Carolina or Missouri, on paper, look like the worst teams. Vanderbilt and Kentucky look to be better than Missouri and South Carolina, but not eminently better. Uh, Vanderbilt is one of those. Them and Kentucky both. Kentucky's got Barker. And Vanderbilt's got Keith Schirmer, S-H-U-R-M-U-R, I believe, um, as their starting quarterback. He's a, a returning, returning quarterback. That's a good thing for them. But he's completed 42% of his passes. So is it a good thing? that your returning quarterback has only completed 42% of his passes. Um, obviously it's not, but, I mean, in this season, when you got so many you don't have a returning quarterback, uh, including South Carolina. South Carolina, Nick, um, the Lindy's has three teams of all SEC. We do first, second, third team, offense, defense, and specialty, which means you've got 24 players on each side of the ball. On the first team, you name three teams, it's 72 players. Only one South Carolina player made that top 72 in our preseason. That is uh, the linebacker, Sky Moore, uh, who has been lost for the season by injury. Uh,
1: okay, so, I, I want to I stop you right there. I'm going to ask you, talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Now that you say all that, and here's the thing, when Will Muschamp left the University of Florida and came to Auburn one year as a defensive coordinator, that now it seems like he's got a pretty tough uh, – Columbia, South Carolina is going to be a, a tough place to coach for a couple of years.
2: Well, it will be. And it's, it's just like, uh, you know, uh, Lou Holtz talked about it. Uh, you know, uh, when, I think when, when Coach Holtz came in, they had lost like 20-something consecutive games. Um, you know, it's a, it's a hard place to win. And they haven't won a lot of championships. They had the one Iceland Trophy winner. But, uh, you know, that's, the fact that Coach Spurrier came in there and did what he did at three double-digit uh, win seasons in a row, uh, had those guys ranked, that, that's probably the best coaching job he's done, not the Florida head coaching job uh it's probably probably the best thing to have done was at South Carolina. It's a tough place to, it's a tough place to coach. Um, uh, you know they're they're sandwiched in between the, the Carolinas and, and Georgia. They got Clemson in state and they don't have a huge football tradition. So, you know, Coach Muschamp is um, he's kind of dictatorial and that and that was you know, he's emotional, uh, he's he's uh, a fiery and he's kinda dictatorial. And it's uh, you know, it's he's got a style of coaching and it's going to probably take a little bit to, to hit in, and he's not coming in to a, to a full house. You know, Coach Furrier realized that, and that's why I think he, he went ahead and retired early last year so that they could be making the move to get things in place for his successor. Um, it's, it's probably going to be a long year for South Carolina. I'll say this about that ball game on Thursday night. If South Carolina wins that game, it's not going to tell me a lot about South Carolina because South Carolina, in my opinion, is still going to have a real long year. But if South Carolina wins that game, it's going to tell me a lot about Vanderbilt. Because if Vanderbilt, with a returning starting quarterback, playing at their, on their home field, if they're not able to beat what I see as one of the worst teams in the SEC in South Carolina, then it's going to be a longer year for Vanderbilt than I thought it was going to be. So we're going we're to find out something from, uh, from that ball game. It just may not necessarily be a
1: good thing. All right, Lynn has done it again. Lynn takes you to 10. Lynn, tell us everything that is going on at Lindy's Magazine.
2: Well, our basketball magazines are literally at the printer. Uh, probably about two to three weeks from now, our college and our pro basketball magazines will be hitting stands. Um, so, uh, you know, SEC fans and, and, and Southern fans be looking for uh, be looking for that. Um, the uh, our website uh, is really getting cranked up. We'll start having columns uh, on a regular basis every week, uh, starting probably next week. And uh, football magazines still on the stands in a few places. If uh, you can't get what you need. Uh, Contact us and uh, check out www.lindysports.com for our
1: website. All right. Look forward to talking to you again. Lynn Scarver, Lynn, as always.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best of the Nick Brown Show. Tune in live every Saturday on ESPN 977.com or subscribe to the show in iTunes on Stitcher or at RedPeachSports.com.